0: CHAPTER Twenty Six OF FRESH EVERY HOUR by John Peter Thuy this librivox recording is in the public domain prince rajput singh the mythical only son of the nazir of hyderabad descended on chicago two weeks later accompanied by j herbert denby the distinguished authority on far eastern affairs their arrival at the senate hotel just before the dinner hour was a spectacular divertissement to say the least and one well calculated to make the unsuspecting general public sit up and take notice his royal highness wore a great grey cloak when he passed through the main entrance of the hotel flanked on his right by the impeccable mr denby and preceded by two massive and upstanding hindus whose bearded faces were frozen into a semblance of stoical indifference that was as grim and forbidding as a box-office man's impenetrable and imperturbable mask on his head he wore a white turban trimmed with golden braid and his feet were encased in richly embroidered red slippers with turned-up toes he paused for a moment surveying with a condescending air the crowd of gaping men which filled the lobby and then clapped his hands sharply twice. The Hindu attendants moved into position back of him. Another pause, and then, with a gesture of surpassing elegance, he dropped the cloak from his shoulders into their waiting arms. No Roman emperor had ever done it better, Mr. Denby thought to himself. The prince stood revealed in a gorgeous silken robe, which was such a shimmering mass of colour, that it almost made one blink to look at it purples flaming shades of orange and greens which seemed to suggest the rank lush foliage of some tropical jungle were the predominating shades the robe was admirably designed to set off to the best advantage the dark and finely chiselled features of his royal highness who greeted the manager of the hotel with an air of haughty reserve that was positively imperial in its implications His progress through the lobby to the elevator was made amid a silence that Mr. Denby afterwards paradoxically referred to as audible, and when the clanging doors closed behind him, and he was shot up to his quarters on the third floor, the feelings of all the awed onlookers found expression in a concerted gasp. Jimmy Martin watched the proceedings from behind the cover of a newspaper, which he pretended to be reading, while he sprawled over a great leather chair, chuckled quietly to himself and agreed that he was a grand little stage manager then he slipped out onto the wind-swept michigan avenue and walked briskly away to his own hotel he longed to remain and watch his drama unfold but discretion warned him that it would be well for him to keep in seclusion for the present inasmuch as representatives of the fourth estate would undoubtedly descend on the hotel shortly in a body Prince Rajput Singh graciously received the gentlemen of the press an hour later, and discoursed at length upon the past, present and future of India. Hearing that his distinguished friend, the Sahib Denby, whom he had entertained some years ago at his father's palace while the former was travelling in the Far East, was planning a lecture tour, he had decided, he said, to visit America himself, and lend his aid to the project it has been long dream of my existence he announced grandly picking his words carefully to assist in bringing to new world of the west the culture and wisdom of the east you have made wonderful discoveries in the world of material things we have long ago found the secret of the soul it is well we should make ourselves friends The prince posed for flashlight photographs, sitting in a great armchair, with his Hindu attendants, arms folded, standing erect and immovable behind him. All in all, a pleasant time was had by everyone concerned, and the results in the newspapers on the following morning were all that the most optimistic and sanguine publicity promoter could have desired two and three column pictures of his royal highness were given prominent positions and each interview was tagged with a paragraph announcing the first of mr denby's lectures which was to be given a day later in the grand ballroom of the hotel the prince it was announced would supplement the lecturer's remarks with a little talk of his own jimmy martin called on him for the purpose of giving him a few more instructions concerning his general deportment and demeanour on the morrow and was somewhat dazzled by the splendour of his surroundings and by the extent of the apartment assigned to him there were five rooms in all overlooking the lake and there was a canopied bed on a raised platform in one of them as well as other evidences of extreme luxury to which he was not accustomed he hunted up his friend, the assistant manager of the hotel. "'Say, Wilkins,' he said cautiously, "'I've been up to see this prince you've got stopping here. That's some set of rooms. I wonder what they're going to set him back.' "'That's the royal suite,' replied Wilkins. "'We don't get much of a chance to get any real royalty very often, and I'm making the old boy a special rate. Mr. Denby arranged for it. "'We're only going to charge him two hundred dollars a day.' "'My God!' stammered Jimmy, almost swallowing his cigarette and clutching the other by the arm. "'You can't do a thing like that!' The look of hopeless distress on the press agent's face caused the hotel man to laugh uproariously for a moment, but he checked himself suddenly. "'What's the idea?' he inquired. "'Why can't we? You act as if we were going to charge the bill to you.' "'Maybe you are, old man,' was Jimmy's response, as he led Wilkins over to the latter's little office. "'I want to slip you a little sideline of conversation that you've got to promise to keep masonic.' So it came to pass that in the quiet sanctity of the little office, Jimmy outlined certain unpublished details concerning the activities and real mission of Prince Rajput Singh, though he said nothing about that dusky gentleman's previous condition of servitude. He represented him as being a genuine Indian nobleman, temporarily down on his luck, who had consented to assist in a carefully contrived and ingenious scheme of indirect advertising. "'Have a heart, old man,' he pleaded when he had finished. "'If you scale that two hundred down to about—well, say, twenty-five, and Bartlett'll have heart failure even at that figure—' i'll arrange to have his royal niblets have dinner every night in your egyptian dining-room you know yourself you don't do much trade in there we'll have those two hindu birds cook a lot of these curry dishes right there in full view of the audience and wait on him you'll be able to hang the little old s r o sign out in a couple of days take it from me the assistant manager succumbed to jimmy's siren song and consented to slash the rate for the royal suite in return for the special performance by the prince and his entourage which the press agent promised to stage nightly mr j herbert denby and prince Rajput singh made their joint debut on the lecture platform on the following afternoon before a select and soulful audience largely composed of middle-aged females who hung rapturously on every word uttered by both speakers mr denby was in fine form His discourse on the Rig Veda was as vague and misty as a treatise on the Hegelian philosophy, and about as full of real mental nourishment for that particular audience as a scientific monograph on the bony structure of the Dactaroptilus volitans would have been. He soared into the outer void, and returned with bay leaves on his brow, and with esoteric phrases dripping from his tongue the more hopelessly involved he became in the mystic mazes of his metaphysical theme the more ardent seemed to be the rapt devotion with which his listeners received his remarks when he finished in one grand exultant outburst of poetic fervour a hushed silence fell upon the gathering and when a ripple of applause broke in upon it there were those whose brows darkened as if something holy had been profaned it remained however for the pseudo prince rajput singh to achieve the real sensation of the afternoon arrayed in a purple robe and turban of exquisite silk and carrying himself with a careless air of superb distinction that was fascinating to watch he delivered a brief talk in which he pleaded for a better understanding between the east and the west and urged a study of indian ways and customs as the best method of bringing such an entente cordiale about such a study as was rendered possible for instance by witnessing a performance of a play he had recently seen in new york was it called the ganges princess he was not sure his dark face gleamed with animation as he spoke and his grey eyes sparkled when he smiled his white teeth flashed brilliantly in the rays of the afternoon sun which poured through the mullioned windows, and when he laughed, tossing his head back like some medieval troubadour in rollicking mood, all the impressionable women there present, young and old, went voyaging for a moment or two into the land of romance, and forgotten memory pictures of scenes from the Arabian nights came trooping back into their several and respective, not to mention respectable, minds. Taking it by and large, Ranjit Lal, former supernumerary, devious adventurer in a foreign clime, and now, by the grace of one James T. Martin, Prince Rajput Singh, was, in the parlance of the boulevards, a knockout. When the formal festivities were over, he was surrounded by a chattering swarm of females of assorted ages and subjected to that particular form of obsequious flattery, which is usually reserved by the weaker sex, for long-haired pianists and corpulent italian tenors mr j herbert denby feeling himself somewhat out of the picture viewed the proceedings from a short distance away and particularly noticed one worshipper who had edged herself into a position directly in front of his confrere and who seemed to be trying to entirely monopolize the swarthy-skinned lion of the occasion she was at least fifty there was no doubting that though she was dressed, with all the gay abandon of a debutante, in a silken frock which did not quite touch the tops of her extremely high boots. She was also inclined to stoutness, though a straight-front corset kept her somewhat ample proportions cabined and confined, permitting her to present to the world at large at least a semblance of curvilinear grace. There was, Mr. Denby thought, something decidedly suspicious-looking about her flaxen tresses, whose symmetrically marcelled regularity was relieved by two little curls which hung coyly in front of each ear she was it was plain to see convinced that she was the living embodiment of peter pan the young person who never grew old mr denby could hear her high-pitched voice and the gurgling laugh with which she punctuated almost every remark i won't take no for an answer you dear man she was saying 4.30 tomorrow afternoon in our Indian room. I'll have just a few notables there, and I have just one favor to ask of you. Please bring those perfectly dear gentlemen with whiskers along to help serve. They'll help my background. Don't you just love the proper background? It's so stimulating. Oh, yes, background is the most important thing in life, if you grasp what I mean.' a grunt escaped a tired-looking man next to mr denby it was so expressive that the eminent authority on the far east turned a questioning look on his neighbor who is she he inquired that's fanny easton replied the tired-looking man old maid sister of junius p you've heard of him of course oodles of money houses in chicago and new york ranch in california villa in florence three private yachts and not a damned soul to decorate em with except that blond nut sunday life's a weird thing sir too much for me mr denby forgetting his own isolation for the moment watched the continuation of the episode with a new interest he saw the gurgling miss easton catch hold of his associate's arm and he observed that the latter was devoting himself to her with assiduous attention as they walked slowly out into the corridor and disappeared leaving behind a collection of thoroughly disappointed admirers as the echoes of a silly laugh came floating on the air from some unseen corner of the hallway something seemed to tell mr denby that all was not well End of chapter 26